What a coach does is they'll work with your functional doctor to provide that support for your success. Hi everyone, I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to The Platform Podcast, where we get real so you can be well. Each week, I'll be sitting down with the leading voices in health, wellness, women's empowerment, and entrepreneurship. My guests use conversations to bring about social change and elevate consciousness. And they're here to educate you on the latest healing remedies, ancient wisdom, and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated the platform so we can grow, be vulnerable, and authentically connect. I love mother-daughter duos, and I love women with amazing spirits who light up the room. Megan Curry, just one half of Curry Girl's Kitchen, is my newest and most inspiring girlfriend. Along with her mom, she is private chefing and teaching people about how to eat functionally in ways that best serve their bodies through whole foods and anti-inflammatory lifestyles. Her love for food and healing those around her is second to none. And when you hear Megan's health journey, you're gonna be blown away. She is such a special young woman with so much energy and love to share. To connect with Megan, head to Curry Girls Kitchen on Instagram. Megan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here, Kelly. Thank you. So I, for everyone, so that they know how we met, I know your sister, Alex. Yes. um, Because we basically did the same job just for different networks covering sports. And she does the Kings and the Angels as well as American Ninja Warrior. So she's a busy little bee. Alex is all over the place. She (laughs) is. But I'm so glad that I was introduced to you guys through her um, because she always talks about healthy eating and this lifestyle that she lives. And now I understand where it comes from oh. because, you know, you guys are just so into this this whole healthy eating lifestyle and everything that your family encompasses is about this. So much so. I'm so grateful that she connected us yeah. too because truly that's, we, we live it. It's every day. It's just kind of how we were brought up. So second nature. Yeah. So I was talking to your mom before we started recording. She kind of walked me through just a lot of what started for her early on in her life, and then kind of the the trials and tribulations that you went through from a very young age, which is very intense. So before we get to Curry Girl's Kitchen, I want to walk through your health journey because I think it just perfectly sets the table for what you're doing now. Totally. I mean, my life, I feel like, was just grooming me to do this because it really was, since I was born, my mom always struggled with my health. You know, I was I think I I was born with like a heart murmur and then I had like chronic ear infections and sinus infections and ended up leading to like all the antibiotics rotted out the back of my teeth. Like it was just crazy. And by the time I, I think I was like three or four, my mom knew like whatever path that she was on with Western medicine was not healing me and they couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. So she really started looking to alternative healing modalities like Chinese medicine, herbalism, I mean, I swear, I was seeing like shaman witch doctors when I was like four before it was like a thing. I'm so jealous. I just started seeing the shaman witch doctors. You're way ahead yes. of the curve. So we, my mom used to always joke. She was like the good witch. Um, yeah. But yeah, she really seeked out support from like a lot of different healers. I mean, I was getting like acupuncture, different, all sorts of allergy testing. So basically that was through middle school. I mean, I had friends that would tell me like, are you even in this class? Because like every other week I was getting pulled out multiple times throughout that week to go see different doctors and therapists and everything to just really figure out what was going on with my health. And then by the time I was 13, it just got to the point where I started developing an eating disorder. I just, because everything, like, I mean, there were periods of time when I was young where they would be like, oh, Megan can't have that. Or they would take away mm like something like they're like, maybe she's allergic to downs or chicken feathers. So they like literally took out all of the down feathers from the house. And I remember thinking like, you're like an eight or nine year old girl. And you're just sitting there being like, wow, like I'm causing so much like trouble for my family to have to go through to try and figure all this out. So I just kind of like, I held that for Mm -hmm. so long. And then by by the time I was 13, my mom was like, listen, like you got to do what you want to do. Like, I see the path that you're on. I don't want to be that mom that's just telling you what you can and can't do and know. And so 
she kind of let me free. And the, what was wonderful about my mom is that she was, whatever she ate here, like whatever she made here is like what we had. So there was never junk food in here. There was, she always homemade everything. I mean, she was making fresh bread for us, grinding, milling the, her own flour. Wow. And because we were Jewish, like we would, we would make the challah and every Friday night we were having Shabbat dinner. So, I mean, what I ate here was the highest quality, most health beneficial foods that I could have. Yet when I would go out, all I wanted to do was fit in. So I would go have pizzas and mm. bagels and jamba juices, like whatever my friends were having to just, I just wanted to feel normal because yeah. I was never just normal. I always like, I mean, my mom tells a joke. It's not a joke, but like literally when I was in kindergarten or in elementary school, there was one time the lunch lady was like, the office called my mom saying, you owe for Megan's week at the cafeteria. My mom's like, no, I don't. Megan takes lunch every day to school. And the cafeteria's like, well, she's eating in the cafeteria every day. So my mom would pack me lunches and I just would throw them away. I just wanted to eat with all my friends. So fast forward to high school, I had really just from the time I was 13 until my senior year, I got really sick. I was a an athlete. I played soccer. I danced. I was, I swam. I like, there's just all the activities as any high schooler has yeah. and teen that I started getting really, really sick until the point it was like my 16th or 17th birthday. I got so sick. I was, had 104 fever for two weeks. I got fever blisters all down my throat. I had lost half of my hair and probably 15 pounds in this span. And it was my rock bottom, like of health. Like I really was in so much physical pain. And I realized that I had brought myself there, you know, like my mom had done all she could up until that point. But now I realized it was my responsibility to really take care of myself. And so I told my mom, whatever it takes, I'm willing to, I never want to feel this poorly again. And so we went and saw a couple doctors who got tested. I, we found out that she got tested with me and we got diagnosed severely gluten intolerance. And that was that, like we changed our diet. And within three months, it was amazing to me how quickly I felt the change just by being super strict on this lifestyle because mm-hmm. it wasn't a diet. It was, I was changing my lifestyle at that point. I knew it was something that this is how I was now going to be living my life. And this is 12 years ago that that was not a thing. Like no. I, the first couple friends I remember talking to about this and they're like, wheat, like, what are you eating? I mean, especially as a soccer player, we would carbo load. Like oh, you yeah. would do Pasta dinners yeah. before every game. All yeah, that. same. And so it was one of those things that you just kind of had to like, I was retraining myself Mm -hmm. and how I thought about food and really redeveloping my relationship with food. Because up until that point, it was so unhealthy because nothing made me feel good. And then once I found how to properly nourish my body, there was no looking back. So... Was it just the gluten that you found out was an issue or were there other things around it? I mean, I have like... a scattered like of different random allergies like yeah. molds and pollens and things like that but the main thing was gluten because the way that gluten affects your body and it, it, it depends it varies from person to person but it it literally disrupts your brain and the way that you also it, it completely malnourishes you if you're gluten intolerant the way that your villi and your intestines it's like they're these little villi and they digest it through the little tips, the tops of the tips. But if you're eating gluten, what happens is, is those villi that absorb all your nutrients completely flatten. They're not there. So whatever you're eating isn't getting absorbed. Mm-hmm. So you're just, what it ha- what it caused for me is I was always getting sick. And so it just created a really poor immune system. Mm-hmm. And on the past that I was going, like I had hypothyroid, like I had issues with my thyroid. And so I easily could have developed Hashimoto's or something a lot more severe had I not caught it sooner. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so amazing is just by eliminating it from my system, within six months to a year, your villi grow back and your body, I mean, it's like you're, we're so amazing, our bodies, like how the power that we have to be able to heal ourselves if we just 
take the time and the willpower to really do it. Mm -hmm. So I think the amazing thing about the whole gluten intolerance versus mm -hmm. celiac thing and the testing that goes into it. So I am severely allergic to gluten. Mm -hmm. Doesn't come up on any test anywhere. Yes. Then there are people that, like you, it shows up, but you're not celiac. Mm -hmm. So what do you know about the differences and how that affects people? Because to me, it makes it really difficult because there's not like one answer. Yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, the difference between gluten intolerance versus celiac is like, it still affects your body. So basically like, I mean, if you're gluten intolerant, you might as well just be eating a celiac diet. However, there's celiac, there's a couple extra things like, like eggs and certain other foods that you need to eliminate. But with gluten intolerant, I mean, your body can't digest it the exact same way that a celiac can't digest it. However, you don't carry that celiac gene. Mm -hmm. And so because you don't carry the celiac gene, you're deemed as gluten intolerant. However, your body is still unable to process and digest gluten. Mm -hmm. So what it's doing is around the same effect, but your symptoms won't be as severe or as it's like somebody that has a peanut allergy and they're anaphylactic, like they automatically, they feel it, the immediate. That's like how a celiac will respond to gluten. However, if you're intolerant, it can take a little longer. It will come in the form of a week later, you could feel sick mm -hmm. or you start feeling really lethargic or you get brain fog or your joints start hurting. I mean, it causes severe inflammation in people's brain and body. So... I mean, it's just, it really depends from a difference. And my mom and I always talk about it. We have friends or clients that are like, we're gluten light. I'm like, we what might, we, exactly. You're eating it. You're, it's in your body and it's, yeah. there's, it's no different. It's, it's really, it can be infuriating at times because then when you say, when I say I'm gluten intolerant, people think that it's less severe, mm -hmm. but it's, it caused the same problems in my body. Over time, it's still going to cause the same problems as if a celiac we're eating it. Absolutely. And I remember talking to my doctor about this and mm -hmm. it was not just gluten. It was nuts and seeds or eggs or whatever it is that's bothering you. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. all those things bother me. And I said, oh, well, I just had a little bit of this or I had a little bit of that. And he's like, then you started back, back at square one. Yeah. So now your healing goes back all the way to day one. And then you mm -hmm. have to rebuild because you're putting something that's like poison for your body into your system. Definitely. So your immune system responds, there's the inflammation response. Mm -hmm. So you have to be completely clean. Yeah, and that's something that I've noticed that, so the reason I was so strict, my mom was so keen on just educating me when I was 17, because it was right before I was going off to college. I knew I wasn't staying in California, so I was yeah. going to be far away from home. I heard you were the one yeah. that wanted to leave. <laughs> yes. I was like, I always knew I would come back here, but I just, I love experiences. I mean, I traveled to Europe twice in high school. Like I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And I just had this thirst to explore and see other places. And unfortunately, my diet kind of limited to me as to where I could go. Like, I mean, I wanted to go to the South. My mom was like, there's no way you're going to be able to eat. Mind you, this is 12 years ago. Yeah. Eat anything there. Mm -hmm. Like there, it's just going to be so challenging for you. So I ended up in Colorado, which was, I mean, the best place I could have gone. Um, so hippy dippy. Uh, Boulder is yep. literally like a Mecca of just like acceptance, food forward, very just aware and conscious. Mm -hmm. Like there's no judgment. Everyone there was either vegan, vegetarian, or I mean, the farmer's markets, the CSAs, it was so wonderful for what I needed in terms of leaving the home for the first time mm -hmm. and really having to feed myself and be extra aware of what I was feeding myself in that setting. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy how it all works out in that sense. Yeah. I, how difficult, I want to go back to you talking about the limiting of food and things being taken away from you from a very young age. Yes. I didn't have that until I was in college. And I'm glad because I think, although I'm, I don't know, now thinking about it, I'm kind of jealous that I didn't have it when I was younger because it becomes, you know, innate in who you are. But I imagine when you're so impressionable as a young person, mm -hmm. that that is almost like scarring you for life when it's being taken away and you start talking about eating disorders and relationship mm -hmm. with food, what was that like in your head at that time? Oh my God, it was miserable. Like I had three sisters that I would sit down for dinner and they would all get to eat 
whatever. I mean, granted, everyone had their own dietary mm-hmm. like preferences, they're yeah. picky eaters. <laughs> but I mean, it was just, it was so challenging. Like, I just remember wanting to like grab something and it was always like, ah, ah, Megan can't have that. Nope. Or like going to birthday parties and not being able to have the cake or the pizza or just going to school and not being able to eat those things. And what it was is like, I mean, in my head, it was like, what's wrong with me? It was so frustrating because here, what is nourishing and makes other people feel fine is really hurting me. And I mean, what's so crazy is how aware I was. When I would go talk to therapists about it, or we would meet with different doctors and they would say, well, when you eat certain things, like, how do you feel? And I would be able to tell them, my brain gets foggy. I can't think in school as much. I don't have as much energy when I'm dancing or playing soccer. Like, I feel like, I mean, now kids are getting a lot more credit, but we know. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it definitely caused a really disordered perception of food in general. It was not my friend. It did not make me feel good. I, it was in so many ways an enemy. I mean, I have the most vivid memory of when I was like, I had to have been like five or six or something. I was young and we were at Disneyland and all I wanted was mm. those like rainbow lollipops that are like oh, the size yes, of your face. Of course. And my mom was like, you can't have it. And I remember like she handed me a carrot and then my sister oh, no. is sitting there licking a lollipop in my face, just going, mmm, it is so good. And I just like cried. Like it yeah. was just, it's like things like that, that it really, it is, it's scarring. But it, in hindsight, I'm grateful for it because now I have a deeper understanding of just, um, feeling left out, not feeling good or just being different because mm-hmm. I was, I was like, the different one in my family. We all had our things, but when it came to like food, eating in social environments, I was like, I I was like the bubble boy. Like I had to be taken care of, of like, God forbid something will happen. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you just, you don't feel okay. You feel like you're like, have all these eyes watching on you. My grandparents would even like, we would be out and I would grab for something and they would be like, can Megan have that? Like all, I had like five parents. Yeah, a scene. Yeah, Yeah, always. Out of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just, it really caused a lot of like, introspective too, because you're like, well, what is wrong with me? What am I doing that's causing this? Yeah, what did I do wrong? Right, like Mm -hmm. when you're young, you don't have the association to say like, other people are going through this because at that point in time, no one's really talking about that. And I was so different. Nobody really had food allergies like that. I mean, it's different from like a kid in your class that had like asthma and had to use an inhaler or like, or things like that. Mm -hmm. Like those were pretty rare too. But like, I was on par with that. I mean, even to the point when I went to college, I got I was registered under disabilities because of being gluten intolerant. So I had to be in a specific dorm that had the specific cafeteria or dining hall that I could eat in. And I even got to have like preferred like registration for classes because of my dietary needs. At least there's some upside. (laughs) You got one good thing out of this. But yeah, I mean, I just, it was like that, like hawk's eye view on like everything you were doing. And so what it did cause is like, I lied a lot because I wanted to just fit in. I didn't want to have that problem. So I remember, I mean, I went to therapy as a kid about it because I would just, I would lie. I would tell my mom I was doing one thing and would eat the other because you just, you can't understand why. Mm -hmm. And especially at that point, we didn't know why I wasn't feeling good. So when you're feeling poorly the entire, like pretty much your entire life, like childhood, and they can't tell you exactly why, it's like this state of unknown is like, it just, so frustrating. And then by the time I was in high school, then you deal with like body image issues. We grew up, I grew up in this beautiful beach town where there's volleyball players and all these like very tall, beautiful humans everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you go through that like puberty phase. And then you have to like also deal with like losing weight or gaining weight or just, in, and then in sports, like, are you strong enough? Can you run fast enough? And For me, when I would eat certain things and then feel lethargic or I wasn't performing well, and I mean, I'm by no means as competitive as my sisters. I more so did it for the social aspect. But I mean, you still have, you think like, why do I feel this way? Why do I look this way? I mean, my weight would fluctuate. My dad used to tease me in high school saying how 
I would every so often I would get sick and then lose all this weight. And he was like, oh, this is Megan's diet. And I like, I mean, things like that, that you just say, but you don't think of are things that that was all that that was my life. So once I eliminated it, it's like you understand like stability, Mm -hmm. which is like something that I, until I was 17, I never fully understood. Wow. Yeah. How did your mom make it a safe space for you to go through this? Uh, my mom, she, I mean, I, I'm so grateful for her. I would not be where I am today in health, anything really without her. She was such a good model. And even when I was in my rebellious teen or my deceitful young child age, she just let me be, you know? I mean, I definitely was grounded. I definitely got in trouble <laughs> with certain things, but she just was very clear in how it was coming from such a place of love, it wasn't like she was trying to control me. She was trying to help me feel better. And that's what she kept impressing upon me. And anytime I did something that was against what she was trying to help me with, she would say, this is your choice. She was never like, you're so bad, or I can't believe you would do this. Like it was, I mean, she was a special ed teacher Mm -hmm. and administrator. So she was just really careful with the words she chose. And yeah, I mean, no matter what she she did, I had my own journey. So I had to go through my eating disorder, my stuff to really get to where I am now. So she just, whenever I was home, it was so, she tried as, her, as hard as she could to not make me feel so different. But yeah, that was, she was just so super supportive. Well, and I think my mom always tells me about when I was younger and she would say, we never wanted to punish you because you already were going through so much. You were punishing yourself so harshly mm-hmm. already that it didn't help us coming down on you as well. And I feel like your mom took a similar approach as you were already going through so much. You were probably being really hard on yourself. You already felt like you didn't belong and like you weren't good enough or you had done something wrong. What's it going to do if she adds to that? Oh, you just like nailed that. It's exactly what it was. It was like, I was never good enough. I felt like this burden on my family that I really kept to myself as a kid. I loved fairy tales and stories and I would read and write. And I mean, I was a voracious reader. Like I would, like, it was crazy how I I could just take care of myself. And I didn't want to put anything else on anybody else. I didn't want to ask of anybody which I think in some sense is, is probably what made it, is what has made me so independent and what I'm so grateful for and why I wanted to leave and get out because I felt like I was so taken care of like to the next step, like even more so than my sisters because I, I was just in constant need of attention mm-hmm. so that it really, I wanted to like break that as much as I could, which caused me to be this very aware and independent human being, which is amazing because it's allowed me to travel and have all the experiences that I've had and compassionate because I mean, at the most, like, I feel like I'm such an empathetic human being because of what I went through. When I see somebody that is frustrated with their diet or frustrated with how they're feeling, or just like if they are not feeling included or anything like that, I'm like, I hear you. (laughs) I've been there and it's hard. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this, but I'm not sure if this is something you went through, but I know gluten causes a lot of depression and anxiety in people because of the way it wreaks havoc on your brain and the way everything's connected. And everyone now is talking about how your gut's actually your first brain, your brain's your second brain, and it runs everything. So the effects are really depression and anxiety coming from your stomach. So if you're putting gluten in there and it's a problem, you have these issues. Did you ever deal with that kind of stuff? No, and I'm very fortunate that depression and anxiety isn't something that I ever really struggled with. I think I'm very blessed with this. Like I know my mom has struggled with anxiety. My sisters have, like all my sisters have, and like a little bit of depression here and there. And I think the only time that I really felt the effects of that was maybe post-college. Cause I mean, there's only so much I could take mm-hmm. care of. And I thoroughly enjoyed my four years at Boulder. I had a great time. (laughs) And I think it was after when I moved home, I kind of started getting back to eating it. So I was detoxing a lot of Mm. the foods or the accidental gluten in a sauce or something that I wasn't as hyper like aware of. 
And that I felt it. But other than that, and I also feel like that's like post-college. You're like, what am I going to do with yeah. my life? It's like, that was, <laughs> Who am I? Yeah, that was more so what triggered it. Yeah. But no, for me, it was really about just, I always felt sick. And that was the main thing. And I was very lucky that I would always like kind of take myself out of the perspective of like my, like out of myself and look at it from a different perspective and say like, okay, it's food. Like I, I, and from a young age, I remember doing this of like looking at it and saying, I love where I live. I love that I get to go out and run and play. And there's so many other physical ailments that I could be, I could have or be dealing with or struggling with or like something that could be a lot more severe than what I have. And I, I, I did, I was aware of that. So I was able to be appreciative of what my struggle was and a sense that I, I didn't let it overconsume me or be like, oh, what was me? Mm-hmm. Because both my parents were very spiritual. And I mean, we would celebrate Shabbat to, we would do, I would go to church with my dad on Sundays. And when I would look at like that, the love and the appreciation of life in general, I, I, w- I really embodied that. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the biggest issues for me has been not understanding what it feels or looks like to be healthy because I've been sick for so long. And I don't know if you experience that as well as where all of a sudden you feel better and you're like, wait, do I feel better? Is this mm-hmm. what healthy feels like? Did you go through that? Oh, definitely. My senior year when I finally eliminated gluten and was for three, the, after three months, I really started feeling the effects. And I just remember being like, this is how people feel. For, my enti- for 17 years of my life, I have never been aware of this feeling. I think that's what gave me such drive to stick with it and to and passion behind why I was doing it. So that's why I don't feel like I ever got depressed or anything like that because I'd found the answer. I'd found what I'd been looking for and the feeling of like normalcy yeah. inside my body and an understanding of what worked for me was the most rewarding thing ever. And it took a long time to get there. So it was almost like, a fear of like going, reverting back. And also it was like, I think that's what got me through like any embarrassment or shame of having to be like, we'd go out to eat and I would sit there and like, what's in the sauce or what's in this? Or is there wheat in there? And they like, cause I couldn't say gluten cause nobody knew what gluten was. Right. And I mean, as a high schooler, it's, that's kind of hard, you know, when you're already like dealing with so much, but I think I had already dealt with so much that by the time I got there, I was like, oh, whatever. This is like, this is easy. If I have to ask you 15 questions, luckily I come from a hyper communicative family. (laughs) So that was never a problem for me. You all speak very well, I must say. (laughs) Thank you. So my mom did a very good job. We used to have to call in all my doctor's appointments. So as you can imagine, I got very good at calling and making my own doctor's appointments, um, having to talk to people and really communicate in a way so that they understood, like, I cannot have anything in here. And Mm -hmm. there are times where I'd go out to eat and I just wouldn't be able to eat anything. And that was okay. I got really good at carrying snacks with me (laughs) that I could have. So yeah, I just, I feel like when you find that health or if you've, you haven't had that feeling for so long, it's almost like, too good to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you you kind of like, you feel You're waiting like, for the hammer to drop. Yeah. You're like, um, what's going to happen? And after years of it not, you, I, I'm just, I'm very grateful. I'm very, very grateful. It, it's what keeps me living the life that I live. Don't you think that's one of the biggest issues though with the entire world is when it comes to, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day. We're like, I guarantee you 90% of the world is sick in some way or another. Mm-hmm. especially autoimmune now. What is it, like 60 million people have autoimmune issues and a lot of that related to gluten. People don't know what it feels like to feel well. They think that having headaches or diarrhea or mm-hmm. they're not digesting well or you know they can't sleep, they have bad energy. Everyone thinks that's normal. It's become their normal. I mean, it's, it's the issue with chronic ailments and illnesses now. It's why, I mean, it's really frustrating because Western medicine was developed for an acute problem. So you had something that medicine would heal. And now we've come into this age of chronic ailments that 
you can't just put a Band-Aid on because then it's going to give you some other ailment on top of it. And it's really figuring out the root, which is why my mom and I are so passionate about functional medicine and what I'm currently studying. I heard. I'm yeah, so excited. It's so, it's so great because there is such a lack of awareness about it mm-hmm. or just people, it's become their normal. And it's they've just kind of, they you deal with it. Yeah. It's like, I have headaches and you deal with it or... I just, I don't get that. I don't sleep that well. It's just how I am. Mm-hmm. Or I, every time I eat, you know, I get bloated. It's just, it's, it's how my body is. And it's just so crazy that people just don't want to know why. Mm-hmm. And they just get comfortable. But, and they don't want to know why, I think, for a lot of the reasons, because they don't want to know why. They don't want the answer that's going to make them the weird girl that has to ask about the gluten and the Sauce. Or they just don't want to have to take that, that. It's like an extra effort. Right. Or what happens to a lot of times is doctors are just like, well, you can take this. And so it's like, well, my doctor said mm-hmm. I can just take this. And it's like their crutch of like really getting to the root of their problem. And it's not, I mean, it's getting more widely accepted to like work with naturopaths and nutritionists and help trying to figure out like the layers. It's not like one size fits all. That's really what we founded Curry Girls Kitchen on is to help people figure out what works for you and what your version of healthy is. Because you say healthy is so general and what might be healthy for somebody is harmful for me Mm -hmm. or you. And it's figuring out what works for your body. And it's like that, I mean, they're all now like bio-individualization in terms of health and wellness. And it that's how it should be. That should be the norm. And Mm -hmm. it's not. And so that's why a lot of people are get caught up in just, well, it's just what it is and go on with it because they don't want to have to take the effort to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we're creatures of habit, Yeah, you know? Yeah, but that's not going to get you healthy by any means. No. Okay, so tell me about this functional medicine thing you're doing. So functional medicine is basically, I mean, the way I describe it is just that. If you have an issue and you go in to see a doctor, normal Western doctor is going to say, okay, here's this supplement or this drug I can give you for this issue, but it might cause X, Y, and Z. And if so, then come back and I can give you another drug to help with this. And then you're going to take this for the rest of your life. Whereas if you go see a functional doctor, they're going to look at everything in your life. They're going to ask you about how your relationships are. How's your sleep? How's your stress? Do you exercise? Have you been somewhere lately that you could have been exposed to something that could have triggered this new symptom that you're dealing with? Um, has it been a buildup of something over the t- over time? Like, did you have other symptoms that could have then led to this? So they're really, it's like a whole health history to figure out what works for you. And they're not opposed, like it, they're not opposed to all Western medicine. Like there are certain things that you absolutely need that medicine for. It serves a purpose. However, I'm not in the realm of believing that you need one medicine for the rest of your life. That just doesn't feel right to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know there are cases of that, but depending on what it is, like, like, that's not an, that shouldn't be the norm, you know? Mm -hmm. So functional doctors are utilizing other, um, lifestyle and dietary techniques and really uh, creating this new form of medicine, which is, uh, I think, the answer to a lot of people's prayers right now. And what's the program you're doing to learn about it? So the program I'm in right now is the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. It is backed by the Institute of Functional Medicine, and we were introduced to it through Dr. Mark Hyman, Mm -hmm. um, who endorses it, does a lot of talks for it, and is a real pioneer in functional medicine. I mean, he's head of Cleveland Clinic and the studies and the documentaries and the books that he's coming out with that really show what a huge part diet plays in life and our health is amazing. I mean, this the old saying of you are what you eat truly plays a role in this. Like that is how you are. If you're eating processed, fast, sugary foods, you're not going to feel that great. Mm -hmm. However, if you're eating a whole well-rounded, colorful diet, you're going to feel vibrant like the food you're eating. So it's, and not to say that doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time, especially when you've been, you've created these habits or these ways of living your life. I think that's 
probably the hardest thing to change mm-hmm. is habits. It's yeah. what is going to motivate you to continue doing that and what really is sustainable for you. And that's what coach does is that you go and see your doctor, but I mean, it's not like you're seeing your doctor every week. Yeah. So you go and, and see who your, can afford that, right? especially functional medicine doctors. Because they're not covered by insurance. Right. You have, it's all out of pocket. They're, they're seen as like specialty doctors or, um, yeah, it's just, it's really infuriating. Mm-hmm. And so what a coach does is they'll work with your functional doctor to provide that support for your success, wow. which is, I mean, if I had had the ability to work with somebody like that yeah. when I was younger in high school, that wasn't my mom, wasn't a doctor that I couldn't, that I could relate to and have that support, I feel like I would have been happier with my health a lot earlier. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And now I want to do that program. So you're going to have to tell me everything after we're done filming. I'm loving it. Because I think education is the biggest part and I'm really into Ayurveda and it's, you know, this ancient healing. People our age don't talk about that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. especially from the United States. It's from India. Yeah. And it's just not commonplace and neither is functional medicine yet. And for me, it's all about, especially with young women and the rate of Hashimoto's and all these autoimmune problems, you have to have people that relate, that get it, and that you will hear, and it will resonate with you. Oh, I first heard about Ayurveda, I think, again, because of the way my mom raised me, she taught yoga, and that's very common in that community is, like, knowing your doshas, or your, like, are you, like, kapha, pitta? I forget the last one. And No, I'm forgetting, yeah, too. <laughs> it's, like, kapha, pitta, and vata. Vata, there you yes. go. And so those are like, are you airy? Are you earth? Are you water? Like are you fire? Fire, yeah. yeah. And so like those to really understand like how to feed your body based on those elements. Mm-hmm. And it's body type, you know, like just what your genetic makeup may be. And so when I did my first health coaching program through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, um, I learned a lot about that. And I remember being fascinated because I remember there's certain, um, my mom used to make these teas and these herbs that when I was not feeling well, that would help. I was brought up with that. And then once I moved to Boulder and really got into the yoga community there, it was a lot more prevalent. And then when I, would, I, when I came back here six or seven years ago, and I was kind of talking about that I'd become vegetarian, I was eating a lot of plant-based, and it wasn't common. People were like, what is Ayurveda? Kitchery. What is Kitchery? (laughs) And now I think it's what's so amazing about social media, and now we have this access to all of these other lifestyle healers and, I mean, medicine that's been around for thousands of years that people don't just have one source to look to now. They can go towards other things. And I really feel like that's developed over the past five or so years. I mean, since social media has gotten mm-hmm. a lot more prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's definitely more access out there and people are able to mm-hmm. see. Okay. So I want to talk about Curry Girls Kitchen, of yes. course. How did you guys start it? So my mom founded Growing Great, oh, was it 10 years ago, in 1999, just about. And Growing Great is a school garden nutrition education program that te- that goes into elementary schools. They put in a school garden and then they have the curriculum that pairs with this gardening. So it, it plays into hydration, elimination, all of your macronutrients and micronutrients. And it ties in as well to the standard curriculum requirements. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in co- when I was in college, I would come home and I would help my mom with growing great, whether it was being a docent, teaching classes to these nine-year-olds or Aww. 10-year-olds versus like just helping out in the office. I mean, my mom used to put on a healthy living festival in Manhattan Beach and we would work that. And I just started, I mean, in Boulder as well, I started getting an awareness of, um, food and stuff I ate and how I felt. And I mean, there were so many vegan and vegetarians. I took a animals and society, a sociology class. And here I thought I was going to learn how we cohabitate together and like <laughs> animals. I don't know. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. And it was literally all about feedlots and how we commercial, like we've commercialized the food industry oh, and these like awful situations that we put these animals in. And within two months or like a month into the class, I was like, 
I am a vegetarian. Right. So for three years, I was like very conscious of what I was doing. It wasn't just for our environment. It wasn't just for this the san the well being of the animals. It was really like an all encompassing thing of like I wanted to do what I felt and what I was learning is really the best. Mm-hmm. So in that, I started finding reading other books. I. I was introduced, my mom was gave me the book by Donna Gates, The Body Ecology Diet, mm-hmm. which is based off of your blood type and how you should be eating. And knowing that I'm a positive blood type, there are certain foods that work better in my body. And so that helped me a lot through college and then teaching with my mom. So I just started getting more aware of food in general. And I actually wanted to become a registered dietitian, but Boulder didn't have the program or the schooling for that. So I kind of, I was a chem major in integrative physiology for a couple semesters. And by the end of it, I realized all of my classes were like sociology and psychology. And my uh, advisor, who was wonderful, was like, you just graduate with this and you can always go back and get your master's in that or mm-hmm. go back for this because you have all of the undergraduate needs for that kind of program. And you're most likely going to need a higher level of education anyways. So when I graduated, my mom had been working with Growing Great all this time and had been teaching cooking classes to all the parents of the Growing Great students because here they are educating the kids about healthy eating. And now the parents were like, how Can't do we make take this? our kids to Wendy's yeah. anymore. Thanks yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, these kids are demanding salads. They're yeah. asking for wow. whole grain, close to the source, minimally processed foods. They're learning she to made read it labels. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't that she made it cool. She empowered them. Yep. It was giving them the power of understanding what they're putting into their bodies and how it makes them feel. I mean, she gave the best analogy to kids. It's like, you're a car and you're going to put gasoline into your vehicle and you know like depending on what the instructions are of the car and what kind of car it is like there's different types of fuels that are going to be better for you and nothing's like she would never use the word bad or good Mm. it was very much so about an awareness of what is going to make you run the best and kids really got that and they loved it and it was then to go to the gardens and see the food that they're growing and then they would have like a little farmer's market to put money back into the program so it was all self-sustaining it was just, it was so cool to watch and I really fell in love with it. So my mom at this point with all these students was teaching these classes and really wanted to create a cookbook so these parents could have this at their home and really integrate it into their day-to-day life. And so when I graduated, we have a cabin and steamboat and we moved there for a couple months and I helped her put together the book. And it was like our story. It was the whole family, but really talking about our story and what led us to this kind of lifestyle and how to make it relatable. Because here I was this like problem health child. And then she has three other young girls that how did she, how did family dinner happen with Mm -hmm. kids? And so it was going to be growing great families and this whole thing. And so we wrote the book, moved back and she wanted to start teaching classes again. She was going to give it, I remember there was like a point where she was going to give her business to another chef. And I told her, don't like when I, like, this is something that we could do together. I can help you. At that time, I had already started at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. So I was getting certified to be a health coach. And with my mom's experience and everything she'd already been doing, I had the I, the, the knowledge to create it as a business. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And then from there, just a year later, we were like, Curry Girl's Kitchen just seems right. Yeah. And it's funny now because it's always like hit or miss. If people know who we are, they they don't assume that it's just Indian food. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Ayurveda. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, we're like, nope, that's our last name. Yeah. Curry Girls, we're the Curry Girls. So that's kind of how it started and it just snowballed. So explain what you guys do day to day. Yeah, so Curry Girl's Kitchen, we created as a, we really wanted to build this community that, would inspire and educate people to really find their own version of health. Because for both of us, my mom struggled with severe anxiety and panic disorder and had her own bout of health issues. She had early onset arthritis, like certain things that, you know, as a a healthy individual, you shouldn't be seeing. Mm -hmm. And so it's what it was is it's like, 
It's the same thing as growing great. It's empowering people to really take care of themselves because you know what doesn't doesn't work in your body. I mean, we are intuitive beings. We we know when you eat something, you're just like, mm, I don't really know if that was the best thing, or if if you're if you have that awareness. So it's helping people find that awareness and providing a space where people can have those tools through recipes, cooking videos just tips and tricks and how to make it accessible and sustainable in a busy life. And whether you have kids or you're like me, where you're just really having to worry about yourself or your significant other that you're living with, how to manage that all and how to get organized. Cause that's the number one thing is like when you're organized in that space and allow room for, if a fun dinner comes up or an event comes up that you're not wasting food how to make that manageable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in the camp of like meal prep because I'm somebody that I've lived a very restrictive eating lifestyle that I can't be locked into something. However, I do think it's important to have certain things put together so that when you come home after work or you have something going on and you're like ravenous, that you're not just going to go towards that drive-through or go takeout or now you can do DoorDash or whatever it is, um, Postmates, something home, like you have something that you can put together, uh, whether it's from your pantry or some few things that you've had prepped already, whether you've prepped it or you picked it up from a store and it's mm-hmm. prepped for you. So you guys you guys are chefing for people yes. individually. So, yeah. So from our, we started teaching cooking classes together. Mm-hmm. And from that, a lot of our clients that would, or students that would come to the class would say, this is so wonderful. I would love to do this, but I just don't have the time. And I understood that. And my really getting involved with my mom and teaching this was I wanted to help people. The, at the end of the day, like that's truly what I wanted to do. And I felt if I could create a meal that was as great as what my mom was feeding me at that time and allow them to have access to that. And even in their busy lifestyle, I was providing such a wonderful service for them. So I started cooking for a couple different families and it just, I never promoted it. It was never anything that I really tried. I'd never went to culinary school. I'm not classically trained in anything whatsoever. I mean, I learned some nutrition stuff through IIN and just from my mom and experience and coming from a large family and cooking, I had, I was comfortable in the kitchen enough to do that. Uh, And it just kind of like people would talk about it and pass it along. And five years later, I'm a private chef. (laughs) Unbelievable. How many clients do you currently have that you have to rotate through every week? Four and four to five. Okay. Yeah. And is that a full slate for you? Yes. I, I mean, more, more or less. I have like morning clients and night clients, depending on what I'm cooking for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, and it rotates depending. It's I now am really only taking on clients that I'm helping get them set up for mm-hmm. them to then continue cooking for themselves. Because now I think after five years, I didn't feel comfortable in a place of really coaching people on how to find it make like maintainable for themselves to do this. Mm-hmm. I was just doing that. Now I feel like I'm at this point where I'm enabling them because I'm just providing the service and I'm not educating them or helping mm-hmm. them create structure to do it themselves. And I think that's what's most important because I'm not going to be able to cook for them forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's also expensive. I like mm-hmm. I mean as much as I would love to say I would have a private chef if I could, there's just certain things that when you make the time, because that's truly what it is, is making it a priority and making time to do it, it's, there's so many benefits that will come from that. Mm-hmm. It's you taking the time for yourself. It's you putting that intention into the food that you're cooking for yourself. I think that's why I've also been so successful in being a private cook, having no experience or whatever, is because I genuinely love what I do. And when I'm cooking that food, I'm infusing it with so much love and passion and just like, this is going to make them feel so good. And it's just all of that energy is being transferred when they eat it. And that's what I think helps people keep coming back. Yeah. I love that. I have a couple girlfriends, um, Mary Shenuda, she goes by Paleo Chef on Instagram. And then uh, my friend Natalie uh, is Paleo Collective and Mm -hmm. neither of them have classical training in, in cooking. 
but they both come from having a lot of health issues. Mm -hmm. And so their passion for not only cooking, but for educating is so strong that I don't know that it would be there if they just loved cooking and that was kind of it. I think that's Mm -hmm. such a special thing to have in your arsenal. I think it's what really gives you the passion behind it. Like, I mean, people can be passionate about food, but if you're really trying to actively help empower and inspire other people to create this lifestyle for themselves and show them how it can be achievable, Mm -hmm. that's what makes it different. And that's what it makes it unique. I mean, I just posted something on Instagram yesterday about how everybody's story is unique and so, so different. And it's not worth for comparison. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing when it comes to your health and when it comes to lifestyle. Like my mom and I are just a platform creating a space for you to learn more and Figure out what works for yourself. Our recipes are templates. We we give so many suggestions for any dietary restriction or preference that say you're vegetarian or this. We give tips on how to not have to make five things at once. So that's really what we've created this space so that you can go on there and learn for yourself. Are you still vegetarian? I'm not. I After a couple of years, I've... I noticed that my body was craving more sugars, which was linked to not enough protein. Mm. And I wasn't educated enough on how to get enough protein through all the plant sources. So I also, I love fish. So I'm primarily plant-based and with the occasional bit of wild, sustainable fish. Yeah, I'm the same. I've been trying to do chicken because I gave up beef and pork Mm -hmm. through the Ayurveda um, because you have to be basically vegan through that whole time. And I was going for treatment for about two months straight. And I felt incredible. And I'm coming from hardcore paleo girl. Like I'm just yeah. meat all day, you know, very low carb and high fat. And I took all of that out and I felt so much better. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to introduce, you know, chicken and fish back in. The days I don't eat that stuff, I feel better. And I don't even like the taste of chicken anymore. It's mm-hmm. just, I just don't want it. I think for me, just all the videos that I watched in college and my classes really scarred me. Um, I mean, if I am eating chicken, which is very rare occasion, it is from the highest quality source. It's mm-hmm. my farmer that I've met that I'm working with getting the highest quality source chicken, that these are very happy chicken. Yeah. They are not living in those crowded, caged in spaces. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think that's what, and by cooking privately and shopping local, sustainable farmer's markets, I've really had a deeper understanding of finding food that I feel comfortable eating and feeding my other clients Mm -hmm. with. What are the, I know there's so much that goes into it, but when you start working with a client and you're trying to really load them up with the right kind of information and prepare Mm -hmm. them, what are some of the things that you tell them or you try and get them whether it's equipped in their kitchen or just mm-hmm. mentally when they're going to go shopping. So I get my, like the first and foremost thing is I always ask them is what is your intention? What are you trying to achieve in working with me? What called you to do this? Is it that you have a child that was had a diagnosis? Are you try, Are you in a health rut? Are you trying to get better? And just having that as a base understanding. And it's really for them to get an awareness as to why they're like coming to me mm-hmm. because no matter what I do, if they're not in a space of understanding what their intention is, there's going to be no success. Then after that, it's understanding. So you now have your intention. What is going to motivate you? Because you want to make sure that you're feeling your best, that you're doing the best that you can for your child, That you, whether it's modeling or like helping them feel their best. And once you get the motivation down, then you can understand, like we can kind of set up the structure. And what it is is, I'll go in there and kind of say, what what is the struggle? See like where the problem is and whether it's that they don't have enough stuff set up at home, they don't have the things that they would need to throw together a last minute meal. And I can then help them create pantries with foods that their kids will like, that they will like, um, and then some recipes that they can use and start integrating into their diet and into their lifestyle. And it's really interesting that I'm... My mom and I are very different. My mom is of the camp that she's like, we're done clearing everything out. We're throwing it away. Where I'm more so like, I knew for me, I had to ease myself into it. So if there's certain things that you're still finishing up, finish them up. And then if there's certain foods that you know your kids will, or you cannot live without, let's find the healthier alternative of that. So you're not feeling like stuff is getting taken away. Mm -hmm. Because if you have any bit of 
like something that you don't have, it's not going to be sustainable. You need to feel like you're nothing's changed, you know, except the quality of the food. And then we kind of break down, like, what does your schedule look like? When are the days that you can shop or when are the days that work for you to do, like, make a big thing of quinoa, roast some veggies, cook a chicken or whatever to have proteins, some veggies and a grain or lettuce greens prepped so that when you do come home from work on busy days or you are rushed in the morning to put together a lunch for yourself, what makes that accessible? Like, Mm -hmm. when can you do that? And if you can't, there's wonderfully prepped things at this store. And I also have clients that there's just some days a week where they cannot handle making foods and providing like the information of different services that can do meal delivery for those days where you really are struggling that you want to eat those foods. But you know that if you're at your work, you're not going to have access to it. So being able to take pre-made fast food that's like good for you fast foods with you. Yeah, because we're not all going to be able to cook every meal and eat at home. It's important to have other options. Or shop the farmer's markets. You know, like that's really what we preach is eating seasonally. So going to your farmer's markets and as close to the source, locally sourced as possible. So, and I mean, that's hard. A lot of Mm -hmm. farmer's markets are either on weekends and say you have a busy schedule, you can't make it to a farmer's market on the weekend. Or during the week, a lot of them are in the middle of lunchtime. Yeah. And if you're not close enough to one, that's hard to get to. Mm-hmm. So finding other grocery stores or that do carry organic produce or smaller chain mom and pop stores that you can go to and purchase those ingredients. Yeah, so smart. So one of the reasons I'm doing the show, and it's a main reason, mm-hmm. is I want women to connect. And I want there to be a sense of there's room for everyone and there's no need to be competitive. Definitely. And I am the older sister of a younger brother, so I don't have other sisters. <laughs> there's yes. four of you. Yes. How did your mom, and none of you are like, you guys are all incredible. And from what I know, and obviously knowing Alex a little better and talking to your mom, it seems like you just have this incredible supportive dynamic here. And it's mm-hmm. not, let me put you down so I can look better or whatever it is. How did she create that attitude for you? Wow. Thank you. I mean, my sisters and I really all have worked hard at our relationships. You know, I think when you're a teenager and you, there's four of you and one roof and it is like hormones going crazy. I mean, it wasn't easy. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) It definitely took some time. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for some of those mornings when everyone's in the bathroom together. I remember the first couple of times like a boyfriend would come over and hear us like yelling, running through the house and being like, did you take my shirt? Like, I mean, the wars that would go on in here. But I think, you know, my mom was just really clear in that we spent a lot of family time together. I mean, every summer we would take long road trips. I mean, with four, traveling was really challenging. Um, But we would go, it's just expensive. And so we would go and do these road trips and we would spend a lot of time together. And we always had Friday night dinners. And if there was a football game that night, friends were allowed to come. And then every Sunday, my parents would do family meetings. And so this was something that, Back in the day, I hate it. Yeah. But now looking back, I understand the importance of it because what it did is that if there was any unresolved issue from the week or something that came up that I was upset with a sister or felt that they had put me down or wasn't feeling heard, we could talk about it. And it was wow. a safe space. And it also was a time when, so my dad would go to church if when we got older, we didn't go he would come back and talk about what was the the lesson in that. They, we, that was where we learned about being just good people, about trust and about community and about support. And my mom was really good of making it clear that we were each other's best friends, that family came first before everything, that if anything else were to happen, we had each other to depend on. And I mean... It's just so special that I was able to grow up. I mean, I'm getting kind of teary yeah. talking about it because it's it's so not normal. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times, maybe now, so it's becoming more normal, but to grow up with where it's so easily to be compared to my sisters, especially because we're also close in age, that my mom was very good at, we were individuals and we both, we all had our own likes and our own body types and our own preferences and that each one of us was 
beautiful, mm-hmm. no matter what that was. And we, she was really stern. If like we were being mean to another sister or anything like that, she shut that down real quick. There was no bad talking the other. It was a very supportive and safe space. And, and like nothing was left off the table. We talked about everything from a young age, whether it was sex, whether it was about drugs, whether it was about school and responsibilities. I mean, everything was discussed. So there was no like room for like us to be like, oh, well, we didn't know. Right. Or I didn't know better because they were really teaching us those somewhat uncomfortable or taboo subjects. They were just talking about it head on. And it really allowed us to then say that if we saw our sisters or in a situation, we we would say it to them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it, which also could be kind of challenging yeah. because you weren't allowed, you weren't getting by with anything. Like you were getting called on your stuff. If you were doing something that was not okay or like appreciated or could be rude or deemed mean, you were going to be told. So I think in high school, that was challenging because you're really trying to figure out yourself. And then by the time we all graduated, you know, it was just this realization and an appreciation of what we had been through together and that we really were each other's biggest cheerleaders and support. So now being an adult Mm -hmm. and a woman who runs her own business and you see that there's, you know, a lot of other women in this space that Mm -hmm. whether it's me doing my own thing, that's very different or you and other private chefs, Mm -hmm. I guess, how do you kind of create a safe space and support other women and not have that competition? Again, it goes to that quote. It's like every single person's story is so different. And I think that what my mom taught us is that a true woman doesn't bring somebody down to bring themselves up. Alex was susceptible to so much bullying. And I think I was very lucky being number two in that she really looked out for me. And even though she did it in a way that only that she knew, which was kind of an intimidation factor, I was able to look at it from a place of love and where you can see that Alex, that's all she knew. So if I could show her how I could be loving or defensive for her in a way of something else, like, and then model that for my younger sisters of like when jealousy would come up or with boys or anything like that, like you could create a space of really supporting each other. I mean, it's so easy to compare yourself to, I mean, my sister is wildly, my, all my sisters are wildly successful, but we all do stuff so different and, Mm -hmm. and any opportunity we can help each other, we do. And I think that's what for Curry Girls, for me, what was so amazing and this being able and being given this opportunity, not only with my story and my struggle from being always sick to developing an eating disorder to then understanding the root of why I was so unhappy with myself or what it was, and then really learning how to build that healthy relationship with food again and finding my health and then wanting to help other women and people in general do that for themselves was, and to be able to do that with my mom and to say that here we are such different generations of different um, understandings and just upbringings and that we can still have this base of we're here to support you and we're here to help you, I think is really the the heartbeat, the pulse of what Curry Girls Kitchen is and what we hope to generate in other people is this acceptance of yourself, acceptance of other people around you, and just an overall love of like taking the time to put yourself first, making yourself a priority. Because if you're not going to take care of yourself, no one else will. My mom was very good at teaching us that you are responsible for yourself. No one is going to love you as much. No one knows you as well. Like, you're stuck with yourself. So you got to make sure that you're like treating yourself really well. She used to say that and would get some flack from this from some friends that she was like, you know, in terms of raising a family, she goes, there's three, there's three orders. Number one is myself. Cause if I'm not taking care of myself, there's no way I'm going to be able to take care of anybody else. Number two is my husband. Because if I'm not taking care of him, he's my partner. We're we're stuck. Once the kids are gone, it's the the two of us. So it's me, then him, 
and then the kids. Because at the end of the day, kids are going to be all right. Mm -hmm. If you're taking care of yourself, they're seeing that. If you're taking care of your husband and you're modeling love and true like understanding for your partner, they're going to see that in what in every other relationship that they're going to have. And so that comes with my girlfriends, that comes with my boyfriend, that comes with any other acquaintance that I come across is that general understanding and just awareness of you are your own person with your own strifes, your own emotions, your own things that I can step back and not take it personally and I can still hold space for you and help you. You're so good. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This Thank was awesome. you. This was amazing. Thank you so much for joining Megan and me today. It's so wonderful for me to speak with women who are using food to heal. I just think there's so much power in that. Again, to connect with Megan, go to Curry Girls Kitchen on Instagram. In just a few days, I'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on the Platform Podcast. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at thisistheplatform or my website with tons of resources at thisistheplatform.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review as this is a new show and I want to share it with as many new friends as possible. And if you screenshot your review and send it to hello at thisistheplatform.com, I'll send you my exclusive master list with all of my recommendations and resources. See you soon and thanks for listening to The Platform Podcast.